And we're back with episode 28 of Dog Football Weekly. It's your host, Reed, with your co-host, Russ. And today, Russ, not really a whole lot going on in the college football world, but some interesting topics came out last week. Obviously, we were unable to film since you were out of town. The SEC decides to stick with an eight-game schedule heading into 2024. Obviously, Oklahoma and Texas joined the conference that year. Russ, what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, obviously, you're going to lose some of the bigger rivalries. Um, for Georgia, that could be Auburn, um, which would be heartbreaking because that game's been played for a while now. The and, Deep South's oldest rivalry. Yeah, and it's it's really important in the college football world. But, you know, you also have positives where, you know, you find a new rivalry and you play a better team because the SEC's full of good teams. So – you know, it, it, it's not really going to change that much, but it kind of is at the same time. You know, Kirby said last week in an interview, he said that the discussion about the eight- or nine-game schedule is the most overrated discussion in college football right now. You know, with what Georgia's built and with what Georgia appears like it's going to do for the next couple of seasons, Russ, I don't think it matters if they play eight games or nine games in the conference schedule. Because who should Georgia fear in the conference? Alabama? I ain't scared. Tennessee? Nope. LSU? Maybe. I don't LSU LSU scares me a little bit this year, but it's it's not as big of a deal as people are making it. And then these other conferences, obviously not the conferences themselves, but their fans are attacking the SEC and talking about how they don't play enough conference games. But does um does Oregon play? Let's let's go through Alabama's schedule. Does Oregon play LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Mississippi State? Does do they play teams like that? No, they don't. And a lot of people forget, you know that yes, the SEC is going to the schedule, but it's already an eight game schedule. And with that addition of Texas and Oklahoma, Alabama's going to play Texas and Oklahoma as well, most likely. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting whether they decide to go with divisions or divisionless or a pod-based system where each team has permanent opponents. But I just don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it. Russ, another thing that's kind of been circulating through college football, um, the media world at least, is that Nick Saban um, took some more jabs at the University of Georgia and A at Texas A&M and programs like that about their NIL spending and recruitment of players. Russ, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's kind of hypocritical, to be honest with you, because Saban's been doing that his whole career, whether you know the NIL was a thing or not. And, and it's just weird that he would go on and try to attack other teams for that stuff when, when he's been doing it. And – you know, it kind of shows Saban's character a little bit. You know, obviously he wants to win, but but you can't take jabs at other teams for doing the same thing you're doing. You know, it kind of it kind of almost seems a lot like Scottie Pippen's comments on Michael Jordan the last week. Scottie Pippen said that that my <laughs> Scottie Pippen. Sorry, there was an interruption. Scotty Pippen said last week that, you know, Michael Jordan was a horrible <laughs> player before Scotty got there. And just these comments like this are so unnecessary, and it's almost like people are just 
that I don't get why great people like Scottie Pippen, who's a great athlete, who's a top 20 all-time player in the history of the National Basketball Association, and Nick Saban, the greatest coach, of arguably the greatest football coach of all time, feel like they need to take shots at programs or people like that when everybody knows Scottie's a great player, but at the same time, Michael Jordan was still the best player in the world before Scotty got there. I mean, Michael Jordan's rookie season, he averaged 28 points a game. Yeah. And I just think it's silly that somebody would feel like they have to, you know, constantly jab at these other programs and kind of poke the bear. And obviously, I don't think Kirk, I think Kirby's smart enough to know not to poke back at Coach Saban because he doesn't want to give that quote unquote bulletin board material to another team when you match up with them eventually. But when we saw Jimbo Fisher clap back at Nick Saban last year, I mean, he said that, you know, if you dig around Nick Saban's past, he's not as clean and as he appears to be. Russ, what do you think about Georgia's 2024 class so far? What are your initial thoughts and initial reactions to it? Well, you know, I haven't looked at it <clears throat> too much, but every time I get on Instagram, it's like Georgia signs five-star athlete. Georgia signs four-star. Georgia signs three-star. I'm really excited about it. You know, it's Dylan Rayola, great addition, obviously. Um, and I, and we have plenty of linemen. I'm, I'm yep. pretty – I mean, they're, linemen are coming in, which is great. Because, I mean, you got to have somebody to protect that number one mm-hmm. overall player. Well, that's you know? something that Kirby's always <clears throat> done. When he first got to Georgia, the first thing he started recruiting – was offensive lineman. You look at his first recruiting cycle at the University of Georgia, the first full cycle, the one player he targeted and the one player he got was a young man named Andrew Thomas. And Russ, Andrew Thomas was a three-year starter, All-American, um, almost won an award um, at the University of Georgia. Now he's an NFL starter, one of the best left tackles in football. I mean, think about the offensive linemen they've produced. You think about Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, Isaiah Wynn, Help me, help me here. Um, I just my mind. Just what, are you ta- what are you talking? Eyes, about? Offensive lineman Jamari Sawyer in the NFL. Uh, crap, Broderick Jones. What's that? We just had a. Uh, he went to the Falcons. He's not really. He's oh, oh, Justin Shafe. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the guy that the Falcons picked over. <laughs> um, all rookie first team. Um, Jamari Sawyer, who was the highest graded rookie offensive lineman, who went like late sixth round. Um. We had uh, Gosh, I, my the, mind. the white guy. What's his name? Warren Erickson. Yeah. Oh, he didn't get drafted though. Or Warren McClendon. Oh, McClendon. He yeah, he was great. Um, my mind is going blank right now. I don't know. And you but, got guys like you got guys like Cedric Van Pran. I expect him to be a mm-hmm. second or third round pick this year. Um, Amarius Mims. He has the size and the speed. Russ, I heard he's running a four nine forty. Oh, at six eight. So a guy like that moving. At that weight, I'm guessing he's around 320 pounds. And he has a standout season. He'll definitely be – I could see him going top 10. Um, I mean, Kirby's always produced offensive linemen. But I think what's different about this class is that it's almost like whoever Georgia wants, Georgia's getting. Yeah, and I agree. they go after the number one quarterback, the number one player. They get him. They lose a tight end commitment. In Landon Thomas, he commits to Florida State, but then they go out and they gain the next best guy, another yeah. five-star tight end. And what a lot of people are forgetting about is that next year, 
Brock Bowers will be playing in the NFL, probably be one of the top tight ends in the NFL next season. But you bring back Oscar Delp, you bring back Lawson Lucky, you bring back Pierce Sperlin, plus you bring back a five-star true freshman. So that tight end room isn't slowing down anytime soon. They have a ton of outstanding athletes. I think the two top safeties are committed to Georgia in that class. I mean, it's crazy they have a uh, – don't they have a punter? There's a punter or a kicker who's yeah, – um, so. The number one punter, I mean, even the number one punter's committed. Yeah, punter. I mean, they're getting, they're landing every commitment. And the class is a long way from being finished. And they're already way ahead of everybody in recruiting points and as far as rankings go. And I think recruiting class rankings at first do not matter one bit. I think they matter a lot in five and six years when you look back and see how players panned out. Russ, another fan base, I know we got off topic there, but another fan base that's been taking shots at the dogs lately. Um, Ohio State, Michigan fans have been taking shots about, you know, Georgia playing a week schedule, Georgia playing an eight-game schedule, really the SEC in to- in, as a whole. But do these schools not remember what happened the last time Last time we've played them? I don't think they do, and uh, it's not Georgia's fault that they're playing this easy schedule, or easy as we say. I mean, a team might challenge us, you never know, because they're being downplayed like, we're gonna Georgia's gonna run through them. So that none of these teams have anything to lose. They're gonna come out there and play with and play their hardest and do their best to beat us. It's not, it probably won't happen, but I mean it's still gonna be good competition. I think Georgia goes twelve and zero regardless of who you put in front of them in college football. You know you can add Alabama to the schedule. You can add LSU to the schedule. I think Georgia wins both those games. You know Tennessee is probably the biggest question mark on the schedule for me. I don't know how good they're gonna be. Ole Miss always puts up a good team, never really a great team, not a team that I think can truly challenge Georgia. But there's no telling what can happen in season. Kentucky might have an outstanding year. Florida could bounce back, although I doubt it. Vanderbilt, they won't be an issue. But it's not Georgia's fault that a lot of these teams are kind of on the down or they're down right now. Because let's look back, I mean – in a couple of years from now, I expect Florida to have a really good team, a title-contending team. Tennessee, Josh Heupel's a great coach. They're going to be title contenders. Um, Auburn, if Georgia keeps that rivalry with the eight-game schedule, I don't know how they would unless they went to pod, unless they went to pods instead of divisions. They're on the rise because they have a great coach and Hugh Freeze and a great recruiter. So I really don't think – you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if Georgia plays 12 FCS teams on their yeah. schedule. When they get to the playoff and when they get to the SEC championship, they're prepared and they're going to beat any big team, Big Ten team they play against. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, any, any of them you put out there, any Pac-12 team, any ACC team, any Big 12 team. The only team that I think Georgia has to worry about this season is LSU. Yeah, I agree. That's the only team that's – I'm like, oh, because they return – Let's not forget, Brian Kelly comes into a roster that was just depleted on talent. There were no guys there. They had like 25 scholarship guys there. And he made that roster that were 10-2. and 10-2 and two going into the Georgia game. And Georgia obviously overmatched them and overpowered them. But, you know, that game was competitive for a quarter. <laughs> a yeah. quarter. But, a quarter. you know, I mean, they, they, beat, they knocked off Alabama last year. And – I mean, who's to say that they won't knock off Alabama again when you bring your quarterback back 
and Jaden Daniels. Yeah, and I like Jaden Daniels. You know, he's a he can run the ball, he can throw. You know, he's he's all over the place, and you don't know what he's going to do. You know, I've heard that Jaden Daniels is the sneakiest player in the conference as far as speed. On TV, on film, he does not look fast. He does not look as mobile and agile. But when he gets out in the open field, he's tough to tackle. I mean, look at that touchdown run he had um, against um, Alabama in the overtime win. Yeah. He had a long – it was 25-yard touchdown run in overtime, and then they com- converted the two-point, obviously. But I definitely think LSU is going to be a challenge if Georgia matches up with them. They may not even play them because Al- they still have to go to Tuscaloosa and take down the Tide. And Tide, the Tide are still – I'd say the Kings and the favorites of the West. But looking looking into the coming years and looking back on Georgia's – or looking ahead at 2023 schedule, Georgia can't help that Oklahoma's joining the conference the following year. Yeah. And nobody wants to open up with a tough conference game. Yeah. So, you, say, you had something to say? No, well, enough with the rambling, you know, about just, you know, whatever. A um, little off – college football and you know on to the NBA finals mm. well what do you think about the NBA finals so far Reed? you know I watched game one on Thursday night and immediately in the, watching the game one I was like the heater getting swept I thought there's no way Miami wins a basketball game in this series because Denver has one of the greatest offenses of all time and Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world and Jamal Murray is, I mean, they're the, is it safe to say they're the best duo in the NBA? Well, if they're not, they're top five. I mean, they're great. And then I go into game two last night, and I see Kevin Love's in the starting lineup. Well, Kevin Love, he's up, he's got to be up near 40 as far as age goes. <laughs> I thought he hadn't he is, played he's got great. He's got great hair. But then I see him matched up with Aaron Gordon, and I think, that is the smartest move anybody's made in the whole playoffs because in game one, for those of you who didn't watch, Aaron Gordon had, I mean, he had what, 15 points in the first quarter. I mean, they just gave him the ball and he attacked the rim because mm-hmm. they didn't have anybody who's a natural matchup on the floor. And Miami obviously hit no shots in that first game. Uh, Max Struess was 0 for 10. Gabe Vincent had a bad game. Jimmy I don't think it was anything noteworthy. Bam Adebayo was the only player who had a really solid performance. And then I go into last night's game, and Struce hits four threes to start the game. And Miami gets out to a big league early, big lead early. And then Denver kind of starts getting back in the game, getting back in the game. Next thing you know, Denver's up 15 points in the third quarter, but Miami doesn't give up. And Gabe Vincent goes off. And next thing you know, Miami's up 10, and then Denver kind of pushes, makes a late push, but it wasn't enough. And, Russ, I saw something today that was really interesting. The Denver Nuggets are 0-3 in the playoffs when Nikola Jokic scores 40 or more points. 0-3. And I don't think that's a – I think that's more of a coincidence. And he only had four assists last night. But uh, I heard that Eric Spolstra, the Heat coach, his interview today, he was talking about – so a reporter asked him if making him kind of one-dimensional as a scorer, which I think that was an idiotic question personally, because if the Nuggets hit the shots that Nikola Jokic gave, I mean, the, 
the passes that he gave, I mean, he would have had, I think he would end up with 15 assists. So say you give him half that five of them, he has nine assists on the night, and they win the game. Yeah. But, you know, I thought it was an interesting stat. And their best run of the game came with him off the floor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's not – I mean, obviously, he needs to be on the floor, but I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, I'm more – I love Miami's team. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they never give up in a game, ever. Mm-hmm. They're they're playing to the end no matter what. And for me, I just love that about a team. And they might, they're not as talented as um, Denver is. They're not. But the way they fight and the way they play together and pick each other up, that's something special that, that Denver doesn't have a lot of, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And I think Jimmy Butler's a great player, and you know he kind of lets everybody do stuff around him. And when it's his time to do it, he does it. You know. You know, I think um, Dan Patrick. He's on. He's on the radio in the mornings. He was talking about it this morning. He said, "You know, Denver, and I saw it too. They came out last night like it was a regular season, like it was just any other night. Miami comes out there every single game with grit, with intensity, regardless of." How t- how much talent they have on the floor? I mean, they have so many guys on that team that are key contributors who are undrafted, who are really yeah. who are not making a whole lot of money compared to what most guys in the NBA make. And you look at their grit, their intensity, their defensive intensity. I mean, Denver it's the NBA Finals, and they're giving up just slips on pick and rolls. They're giving up wide open threes. They're giving up easy looks inside and one dunks. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself. Where is this? Does this team not want to win? Yeah. You know, is this team just okay with just. And I don't think it's so much of a. And I love Miami and I love Jimmy Butler and I think it's a great story. But Denver has the potential, had the potential to sweep this team. They are so much more talented. And they just shot themselves in the foot last night. I mean, they just handicapped. I mean, and you give Miami hope and they're just going to take it and run with it. I see them winning game three. And game four to me is a toss up, but I see this game going seven. I see the series going seven games. That's what I, I I think Miami wins in seven games. I, you know, everybody talks about the altitude in Denver. Nobody wins in Denver. Altitude, altitude, altitude. Miami came up out came out there last night, and the score was a lot closer than the game was then. They were killing them at the end of the ball game. Yeah, and they got everything they wanted. Bam Adebayo, who had a kind of a Average conference finals kind of got made fun of in the conference finals. People were kind of saying, like, take him out, take him out. He stepped his game up in, the, in you know, these finals. And, yes, Nikola Jokic has scored a lot of points, but they're tied in this series. And this is a team that lost a – can you believe they lost a playing game to the Hawks? Yeah. The, the team the, a team that Hawks beat is now in the NBA finals tied in the series. You got anything else to say? I'm good. Well, we appreciate y'all listening. That's going to do it for today's episode, and we'll see y'all next week.